Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the November 3rd Board of Zoning Appeals meeting. Uh, my name is Luke Mortensen. With me tonight in the City Commission room is Catherine Week, liaison to the Board of Zoning Appeals. We will work alongside the chair to facilitate tonight's meeting's proceedings. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, sorry, she was there. Excuse me, sorry. During the meeting, um, please mute yourself when not actively speaking. Please keep your video on for the duration of the meeting. There will not be screen sharing as a part of the meeting this evening. All attachments, reference materials, and submissions from the public are included in the agenda packet. The chair will call for in-person and virtual public comment for those who wish to speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commission, each board member individually to provide their vote. Staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried in the count of the vote. At this time, I'll toss it to Catherine for a quorum call. Good evening, board members, Catherine Weeks, staff liaison. Um, before we do roll call, I would just like to introduce, we have two additional new board members with us this evening. Tracy Matthews and Dean Palos have joined the board. Um, so we'll have um, two new members with the, us this evening and we're happy to have uh, them join a board. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, read roll to make sure that we have quorum for the evening and then we'll get started. Hill. Here. Herod. Rankin. Shalinski. Here. Swearingen. Here. Matthews. Here. Palos. Here. And we do have quorum. Thank you. And we'll throw it back to the chair to get our, us going down the agenda. All right, welcome everyone and welcome to the new board members. Uh, I am happy to be serving with you. Um, first item is communications. Uh, to acknowledge any communications to come before the board. Are there any? This is staff liaison Catherine Week. Uh, we do not have any additional communications. There was an update to your packet um, this morning um, and that had uh, additional communications in, in the update. Thank you. Um, I would ask the board members, does anyone, um, need to disclose any ex parte communications and or abstentions for specific agenda items. Okay, uh, I don't hear anything there. Um, and uh, finally, uh, announcing any agenda items that are to be deferred and apparently there was a second agenda item that has been withdrawn is that correct staff is on Catherine week that is correct no deferrals but we had one withdrawal prior to the posting of the packet so it's it's visible 
on your agenda that it was withdrawn. Okay, very good. So um, there is one public hearing item to come before the board tonight. Uh, this is a request for variance. Uh, it is B-22-0024. And um, this is with regard to the turn hall property at 900 Rhode Island Street, uh, submitted by Patrick Watkins uh, on behalf of the property owner of record. Uh, as I understand it, this variance um, has three different uh, parts to it. One would reduce uh, the rear setback from 12 feet to zero feet, uh, which would have the uh, effect of um, increasing the uh, impervious lot cover um, beyond the 80%, which is normally allowable to 81.8% uh, of the lot. And so that would be the second aspect of the variance. And finally, um, there is a request to uh, reduce the required parking spaces for the proposed use from 152 spaces to 28 spaces. Uh, so if I have that correct, uh, I would like to call upon the staff now to give the staff report. Good evening, board members. Luke Mortensen, Planner with Planning and Development Services Department. As Chair, as Chair Shalinsky noted, public hearing item number one is a multi-part variance request from the off-street parking standards as found in Article 9 and the density and dimensional standards as found in Article 6 of the Land Development Code. The specific re request is to reduce the required off-street parking amount from 152 spaces to 28 spaces, to reduce the required rear setback for a structure in the commercial strip district from 12 feet to 0 feet, and to increase the maximum impervious lot coverage amount for a CS district lot from 80% to 81.8% for a proposed mixed-use redevelopment located at 900 Rhode Island Street. I'll now briefly run through the five review criteria, and I'll do my best to discuss the variances separately if the analysis differs. Criteria one focuses on unique conditions based in platting or zoning. This variance originates from the applicant's desire to establish a mixed quality restaurant and event center use redevelopment within the existing Turnhalla structure. Physical improvements, including a building addition, are proposed for the existing building currently addressed as 900 Rhode Island Street. Staff believes that the subject property has unique conditions based in its platting and zoning. The subject property is a platted Lawrence original townsite lot with the standard 50 feet by 117 feet dimensions seen across much of downtown and East Lawrence. The subject property's commercial strip zoning designation expands the list of permitted uses. However, its lot area and dimensions are more similar to the residentially zoned lots to the north and south. 
The CS district is generally, but not exclusively, geared towards auto-oriented land uses along the city's major arterials like West 6th Street, 23rd Street, and Iowa Street, rather than core neighborhoods like the border between downtown and East Lawrence. To conclude this first section, staff believes that the subject property's commercial strip zoning designation, its platted dimensions, and the size and position of the existing legally non-conforming turn structure may constitute a unique condition. This analysis applies to the off-street parking, the rear setback, and the maximum impervious surface variance components. Criteria number two focuses on the potential adverse effects upon the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. In staff's opinion, the requested variance would not adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. Reducing the required off-street parking amount, reducing the required rear setback, and increasing the maximum amount of impervious surface coverage would not restrict adjacent properties from continued operation of their existing land uses. Neighbor notice to property owners and neighborhood organizations within 400 feet was provided. Communications are included in the agenda packet. Criteria number three focuses on unnecessary hardship as defined by Article 17 of the Land Development Code. Staff believes that requiring the applicant to comply with the code required off-street parking, rear setback, and maximum impervious surface coverage standards could be considered an unnecessary hardship. The proposed rear setback and maximum impervious surface coverage request would allow for the continued redevelopment of this existing turn hall structure and would house modern building code compliant features such as ADA ingress and egress points an elevator and access to the ADA restroom facilities. Additionally, regardless of the proposed land use, any applicant would likely be restricted to operating within only a portion of the turn hall structure if the amount of usable space were limited to its on-site parking capability. Even without a building addition, there are few permitted land uses that, that could operate within the entire turn structure while providing sufficient code compliant parking on site. Criteria number four focuses on adverse effects on the public health, safety, morals, order, convenience, prosperity, or general welfare. In staff's opinion, granting the proposed rear setback and maximum impervious surface coverage variance would not adversely affect the above listed items. Staff has received adequate assurance from the city's municipal services and operations department that these proposed, these proposed variance requests would not adversely impact the adjacent sanitary sewer, storm sewer, or public rights of way. Alternatively, staff does believe that the proposed, proposed parking reduction could constitute an inconvenience to adjacent property owners and residents. It is reasonable to expect that both the proposed quality restaurant and event center uses may operate at the same time, at least on certain days or nights of the week. Even if both uses are operating below full capacity, there could be a significant increase of on-street parking near the subject property. Property owners and residents are not legally entitled to the immediately adjacent street parking, and it remains lawful for drivers to park in the public right-of-way where permitted. However, the impact of an increased on-street parking serving the proposed turn development 
would be realized likely most heavily on the adjacent public rights of way between New Hampshire and Connecticut streets. And finally, criteria number five focuses on the general spirit and intent of the land development code. Staff believes the proposed rear setback and maximum impervious surface variances are generally in line with the spirit and intent of the code. Alternatively, staff does not believe uh, that proposed parking variance as requested fully aligns with the spirit and intent of the code. The physical and social characteristics of the subject property and the surrounding neighborhoods, the adjacency to city owned and operated parking areas, identified city goals to reduce and consolidate off-street parking, and an ongoing citywide land development code rewrite and East Lawrence specific neighborhood planning effort suggest that a reduction of required parking could align with the spirit and intent of the code and could be supported. However, a reduction of 124 spaces as proposed goes beyond the intent of the variance process as expressed by Article 13 of the Land Development Code. To conclude, staff has made two separate recommendations and I'll state them accordingly. First, staff recommends approval of the variance request to reduce the required rear setback for a structure in the CS commercial strip district from 12 feet to zero feet and to increase the maximum impervious lot coverage amount from 80% of the lot to 81.8% of the lot. Second, Staff recommends denial of the parking variance request to reduce the required off-street parking spaces from 152 spaces to 28 spaces. With that, I'll wrap up and consent for questions and our applicants are with us tonight as well. All right, thank you, Luke. Um, do any board members have any questions for the staff? <coughs> Um, okay, I have one, um, and I have not formed it very well. Um, there is a whole bunch of parking data that is, uh, included in the packet, like hundreds of pages of it, apparently. Uh, so I will be the first to readily admit, I did not read all of it. Um, and I'm not convinced of the relevance of all of it um, because it appears to me that um, some of this data is for lots that are blocks and blocks away from the site. And I'm not sure that anyone is going to try to park four or five blocks away from the site. Um, so I think what's relevant to me is something close to the site, which would be the um, parking garage in the uh, 1000 block of New Hampshire Street. So I'm wondering if you could um, summarize 
what that data says and um, how it um, plays into your findings. Yeah, we were provided that data from uh, the city's parking, uh, parking services manager, and we focused mostly on the New Hampshire street parking garage and surface lot eight on uh, at 824 New Hampshire Street and surface lot four at 825 New Hampshire Street. And you're right, there is a lot of data there. And um, we we mostly looked at uh, during the evening hours what the capacity levels were. And it's a little bit difficult to say, give you an exact number because they um, were listed out hourly for each of those lots. but. The capacity was um, on most nights of the week, there was between 40 and 30% uh, available capacity in some of those lots. And so the thinking being um, some of the off street parking load could be handled by those city owned and operated lots within the neighborhood. And that the neighborhood, that those lots, uh, had some capacity for them. Now those lots have different um, hours or different levels of, of hours. Some are two hour parking, some are more than that, some are uh, surface and some are in the garage. And so there is a difference there, but that data shows that those lots are not uh, full completely for the entirety of, of the, what we anticipated these operating hours would be. Okay. And do you have any sense of your your report said that some level of um, variance would be reasonable, but not what was requested. And I'm trying to get a sense of what that number might be based on the data. So I would we would hesitate to give any specific number in the in the past for similar requests. We've never given an exact number of what we're looking for. Um, we rely on the applicant to provide us what they're you know a number, and we'll make an analysis based on that. We've it's we've generally not made a benchmark of what we would then approve versus disapprove. Okay, thanks, Luke. Uh, uh, Tressa, you had a question? Yeah, <clears throat> I wanted to know, um, based on the history and the historical use of the building, uh, how uh, we, um, how do we judge that? I mean, this hall was originally built to be a social hall. <laughs> Uh, it had a theater in it. There were uh, big events there, weddings there, parties there. There was a bowling alley in the basement. How, how do we balance how that building has been used over many, many decades with uh, the new, new quote-unquote proposed use of the building? I know I myself have attended many parties in that building with 250, 350 people present at those parties. So, and, and that's in my lifetime. 
how do how do we balance that? How do we judge that with uh, this request that's coming forward uh, before us tonight? Is that a question for the other board members or for staff? For staff. Okay. Yeah. So I think in the staff report, we kind of hit on that 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 thought that line of thinking that um, this has a the historical use is one of gathering of a gathering space of a community use. Um, this is a good example of a property and a land use that has been around since before zoning and it's being you know regulated through the lens of a land development code that was adopted in 2006 and so th that contradiction is exactly why we're here tonight um i had one more question um the parking requirement as i understand it is based on the um, square footage of the facility as um, proposed in the expansion and um, a uh, an occupancy, if we want to call it that, uh, an occupancy level that is based on the square footage. Is that correct? That's correct. The two uses have separate parking uh, requirements uh, and parking standards, correct? So my question would be, is it possible that an applicant could agree to um, a uh, occupancy limit that is lower than the square footage might indicate and then have a corresponding decrease in the parking requirement. Do you want me to answer? Staff is on Catherine Week. So we have, um, there have been special use permits um, within the city that have been structured in that regard where um, the occupancy limit has been a special condition of the special use permit. The occupancy limit is not what you are being asked to address in this particular ask. Um, that is a different standard and a different um, um, a different, basically a different code section, not what the variance is covering this evening. Um, there are ways for the applicant to reduce their occupancy load, which could impact the number of parking that they're requesting. One, and I think where you may be going and correct me if I'm wrong, one thing that you do have within your power is to condition um, uh, variance. If you're approving a variance, types of conditions would be continue, you know, like contingent upon an approved site plan for the use on the property. Um, and then with a compliant site plan, those things would be controlled or constrained within that site plan and those parking limitations based on whatever square footage they're utilizing for different types of uses would conform to the site plan. And in that case, then the variance would 
be in effect if you've placed a condition contingent upon the site plan approval. That's one route. Um, the occupancy, as I mentioned, is really something that would be addressed under a special use permit, a different process, um, not under the variance process. All right, thanks, Catherine. Uh, any other questions from board members? All right, um, we would like to hear from the applicant at this time. Thank you, board member Shalinsky. My name is Patrick Watkins, I'm an attorney. I am here on behalf of Turn Hall LLC, which is the owner of record. Uh, with me is Mike Myers. He is an architect with Hernley and Associates. Both Mike and I are East Lawrence residents. And I think we're both happy to be here tonight in part because we've been able to see the evolution of this project over the past 10 years or so. Um, it's it's a, a remarkable story and I'll try and cut through it really quick. I'm gonna start my timer so I don't go over. Um, but I wanna, I wanna answer a couple questions that I've heard before I dive into to the history here. And, and Tressa, I think, or Commissioner, uh, Board Member Hill, I think you, you asked a great question. Why are we here? Um, from our perspective, we're here because the code is inflexible. And the only relief that the staff has directed us to seek and, and, and receive is from your board. Your board can grant us the ability to move forward with the rehabilitation of this project but the code does not allow us to. The code calls for a whole bunch of parking, which we cannot provide. And so it is your board that has the authority to solve this problem. Um, and, and board member Shalinsky, I think you have a good question too. Is there ways that we can adjust? Um, and I think there, there may be some ways to adjust, but I have some, some deep concerns about that and I'll, and I'll talk about that. But what you're really talking about is a large parking variance being reduced to a slightly smaller large variance. And I'm not sure that the juice is worth the squeeze on something like that. It certainly adds another uh, condition which limits and uh, frustrates the feasibility of a project like this. Um, but I wanna explain a little bit about how we got here. Um, you may have seen the letter from the Lawrence Preservation Alliance at the, it's at the end of the packet. And if you made it all the way through that parking uh, study, congratulations. Um, but at the end is some communications and the Preservation Alliance letter is uh, something that's worth reading. Um, but this building was rescued. It was at the brink of destruction 10 years ago. And it was the efforts of a volunteer board that saved it, uh, the Lawrence Preservation Alliance. They recognized the historical importance of the Turnhalla and they took action. Remarkably, they raised the money from LPA membership uh, to purchase the building in 2012. They received a grant from the Heritage Council to replace the, the roof and stabilize the building. And they placed a, a historic protective covenant on the building. And I've heard this more than once, but I've heard it from Stan Hernley, which means it's true in my mind. It's a miracle that this building is still standing. Um, and I wanna reiterate it. Uh, this is a remarkable preservation story. Um, since the time of those actions in 2012 and 14, the LPA has been preparing and waiting for a developer to take a risk on the rehabilitation, to try and take that risk to breathe new life into this building, which needs it. And it's taken time uh, to find a developer. It's the better part of eight years that we've been waiting for someone to come forward. And to be clear, this is a significant risk that's being taken here. Uh, it's a type of risk it would be difficult to really fully comprehend. Restacking 150 year old rock walls, reinforcing three story 
masonry, restoring balconies and basements, managing a rehab that meets a very high level of preservation requirement, but also adds a modern addition, repurposing a building that has not had an appropriate user in decades. The current owners are not the only developers who have tried, but they're the only ones that have gotten this far. And they're the only ones that have started and, and we have a chance. Um, this owner is willing to take a multi-million dollar risk on this property, on this preservation dream. And the windows, if you drove by it, are being worked on this week, which is um, especially exciting for those of the, us that have been watching it. Plans are being finalized on the structure. The Historic Resource Commission has approved the design. The State Historic Preservation Office and the National Park Service have been informed with preliminary paperwork about this rehabilitation. Construction is planned for next year. But this is not a project um, to attempt to create a museum. It's not going to be a sculpture. It's not going to be an artifact placed in the middle of a, a neighborhood. This building requires a functional use. It requires an economical, economically feasible use to match the substantial investment that's going into the building. Um, and the analysis on use is, in import, is important, but it's not difficult to understand. First, with the preservation requirements on the building, we had to pr preserve the stage in the gallery and the balcony and the uses upstairs are predetermined. It must be an event center of some sort. For movies, music, cultural events, wedding ceremonies, neighborhood events, it was like it was designed 150 years ago. There's not really any realistic alternatives to an event center from my perspective. Office and residential have been considered, but those uses we know are inferior from a preservation perspective. And we know that event space is relatively limited in, in its activities required at the site. It requires an event planner and coordination bookings. It largely relies on weekend activity and events that are limited in hours of operation. But second, in contrast to the main floor, the basement offers some flexibility for a preservation perspective and, and use. The secondary area um, we know do not have as many character defining areas in the basement to work around. Um, and we know that the basement uses cannot conflict or obstruct or frustrate the main floor event activity, which is the primary revenue center for the building. Um, if there's a wedding on, or a, an event on the first floor, a use on the basement shouldn't be able to disrupt that. So that was sort of the first requirement with regard to the basement. But we also know the basement should support and be available for collaboration on the main floor should the events require it. So there's bathrooms in the basement that could be used if needed. We know there, there's a catering kitchen that we're planning to put in that could provide uh, dining opportunities for the main floor. We know that the basement can act as a staging space. But perhaps most importantly is the flexibility to use the basement for some sort of more stable, separate income producing activity. Um, quality restaurant allows an operator to utilize the space in the kitchen independently of the first floor, but also collaboratively if needed. It would allow the building to have revenue potential on more than just weekends. And I can't overstate the importance of this dynamic for the feasibility of the project to allow multiple uses, steady income for a massive investment. These two uses will seldomly be used to the fullest extent at the exact same time. You can imagine trying to hold a wedding at the same time you have a restaurant in full activity downstairs. You can imagine trying uh, to, to have a movie or, or a concert on the main floor. It doesn't work if you have two uses at full time uh, in both spaces. Um, uniquely, 
the parking lot across the street that's been um, reserved for this lot can serve the regular everyday uses of the restaurant. Um, it's the event center. It's the historic use on the main floor with the massive parking burden that we're, we're asking for accommodation here that requires this variance. The staff report has a couple of unfortunate conclusions in our opinion, and we understand that staff is limited in some respects in what it can re recommend to your board. But thankfully, um, that's why we have this board and, and staff merely recommends. It is the BZA that has the authority to resolve this issue. Staff supports the permeable surface and the setback, so I won't burden the discussion about those. Um, and staff supports the parking variance on three of the five elements. But staff suggests that the required parking load on the street is inconvenient. And the staff notes that the massive parking variance will certainly be necessary but that a reduction is of this amount is beyond the code, intention of the code. Staff specifically notes they don't know where additional parking could come from, uh, but they suggest that the, the applicant should try harder to find it. Re with regard to the staff's comment that the parking arrangements are inconvenient, I think we would agree that there are really some significant inconveniences about developing a 150-year-old building. Uh, you've heard about the LPA, uh, history, and you've heard a little bit about what it's going to take to rehab this building. And you've heard that under every circumstance, this building is going to require a significant parking variance. In this case, there are all sorts of competing interests. The massive planning efforts that go into the process of preserving buildings like the Turn Hall are remarkable. The efforts by the LPA and the Heritage Council are unprecedented. And the risks associated with the rehabilitation are un unable to be fully comprehended or calculated, suggesting that the parking of all issues is too much of an inconvenience at this time really minimizes um, and deflates all of the remarkable inconveniences that this property has really been through. We disagree that the staffs with the staff's interpretation of the intention of the code. The intention of the code in our perspective is to provide a process for development and the needed relief in exceptional circumstances. There's no better example of exceptional circumstances than this building in Lawrence. It's adjacent to the downtown commercial district, which has over 3,000 parking spaces, does not receive the benefit of the parking accommodation just to properties just to the, the west of it. There are two parking lots within a block, surface parking lots, and a large garage just a little bit over a block. And I went to a, an event at Maselli's on Wednesday morning, easily able to accommodate the parking demand. Uh, from that event through the garage and through the surface lots. I go to the farmer's markets, which is right across the street. It uses the surface lots that this, this property would be able to use, and it's easily able to accommodate the parking load. Um, there's no other available parking lots that could serve the Turnhalla. And I can personally assure you that none of the other private property owners are going to be willing to burden their properties uh, with a code-compliant off-site parking agreement. This project should be a celebration of planning and community-minded preservation efforts. It's not an exaggeration to say that this project will be one of the city's best preservation achievements. We have a developer that's prepared to take incalculable risks. We know that the code is inflexible with regard to parking and unfortunately inflates the amount of parking that we probably need here because our uses are collaborative. Parking lots will, in the nearby vicinity can adequately serve this and those are fully capable of serving the day-to-day -day use. In reality, this is more about restoring a historic use. Can the Turnhalla be allowed to be the Turnhalla? 
a community event space that's never had to provide its own parking. We need your support um, to complete this planning process and to move to the next step. I'm, uh, we're available for any sort of questions you might have. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, do any of the board members have any questions for the applicant? Uh, Tracy Matthews. Yeah, um, you mentioned that there are parking lots across the street um, and parking a block over. Are those city parking lots or are those personal park, uh, parking lots that belong to um, personal businesses? For example, you mentioned the uh, farmer's market and um, at the bank, and I'm pretty sure that the bank does not allow those who attend the farmer's market to park in that lot. Um, and so how would uh, how would that be different for you, number one? And also, um, who do the other parking lots you're, you're considering, uh, who do they belong to if they don't belong to the city? Sure. Um, the parking, there's a couple of parking lot distinctions that we should be clear about. The parking lot directly across 9th Street is part of this application. It is controlled by the developer, and that is for the exclusive use of the turn hall app. Um, the parking lots that I was referring to within a block are both city lots. Um, city lots designed to carry the load of the downtown parking district. Um, the parking garage is obviously city owned as well. Um, there are some privately owned lots, though they're small. They serve primarily the properties to which they are attached. Um, there's one owned by Tim Keller, uh, Caddy Corner, but it's used by a range of users that use his office. Um, and his office complex has been built into more of a co-working space recently. And so the hours of operation are, are broadened there. Um, I would also say that to utilize some of these privately owned off-street parking lots in our application requires a code compliant parking agreement, which has a number of criteria um, that we don't think anybody would be willing to grant to us. Um, so specifically, I'm talking about city parking lots. Any other questions for the applicant? Okay, seeing no other questions at this time. Um, this is a public hearing item. So now would be the time where we would hear from the public. Is there anyone from the public who would like to speak? Yes, we have. Uh, we don't have anybody on Zoom, but we have a number of in-person uh, comments, and and we'll begin with them. Great. If you would come up to the podium, please. Please state your name too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my name's Dennis Brown. Uh, uh, good evening, commissioners. I've been a board member of Lawrence Preservation Alliance uh, for 22 years. <laughs> I served as board president for 16 years. I'd like to address a few comments about the extraordinary efforts undertaken by Lawrence Preservation Alliance to secure the existing parking that 
was available to the Turnhalle. And that was at a time when LPA didn't even own Turnhalle. We owned it, like Pat said, from 2012 to 2014. Uh, we completed a $125,000 stabilization project there that I believe had, uh, the building would not be there today if we had not done that. Uh, we sold it to an experienced developer, uh, an experienced rehab developer in 2014. And uh, we're hopeful that we would see a project uh, happening uh, the following year. That didn't happen. And by 2017, uh, this developer was still not able to come up with a rehabilitation plan and end user partner uh, that would get this project off the ground. At that time, we were noticing that the parking lot at 846 Rhode Island, directly across the street, it was uh, 32 spaces, um, was in disuse. It, we knew all that time that it had been owned by U.S. Bank uh, uh, for their employees to park in. Uh, when the city built the parking garage on New Hampshire Street, that was closer for the bank employees, so they started parking there. We saw a real problem uh, with the parking lot, which we knew Turnhalle would desperately need, uh, uh, that if we were passive about that. We would wake up someday and find out it had been sold to a downtown developer who would put a building on it, and that option for parking a turn hauler would be removed. Uh, we went into, we, de we determined, our board determined we were going to attempt to buy the parking lot. Uh, we went in to see the branch, the manager of the branch bank, uh, Brad Burnside, talked with him about it, and he did confide in us that several developers were starting to talk with him about purchasing the lot, and we were like the, sec the third or fourth, so uh, the bank home structure was realizing that they needed to set up a process to sell that property. Uh, we put in an offer. We got a counter offer from the bank. We accepted it. And over uh, another period, this was in uh, fall of 2017, uh, over a period of a month or two, the bank determined based on the community benefit portion of, of our offer, a non-for-profit trying to save a historic building, that we would be first in line for them to uh, try to work out a deal. And of course, working with uh, the bank corporate structure in Minneapolis, uh, it was a smooth process, but a long one. It took five or six months, uh, but we did, uh, uh, we were able to buy that property. And the way we bought it was we, we combined nine personal loans from LPA members to come up with the purchase price of that property. Uh, there was some interest on that. And of course, as a commercial property, there's a heavy tax load on that property. Uh, we leased the property to the developer and uh, that made us revenue neutral. And uh, the new owner of Turnhalle has assumed that lease. So, so now they're in that position and there's a purchase option on the lease agreement that when the de a developer completes a substantial rehabilitation of the Turnhalle and gets an occupancy permit, they can uh, 
trigger that purchase option and buy the parking lot for the same price that LPA bought it. So what we did was step into a situation that was very dangerous for Turnhalla, froze that property in time, and now we're at a point where, okay, folks, it's 2014 again, and you can buy the lot for that price. Um, and, you know, that's that was the parking that was available that LPA was able was able to uh, to procure. Um, and one interesting thing about this property purchase in 38 years of the existence of the Lawrence Preservation Alliance, this parking lot is the most expensive property ever bought by LPA. It's kind of odd. A preservation group buying a parking lot, and that's our most expensive acquisition. But that it goes to the point of how strongly LPA has felt that this property needs to be preserved. And we have felt that way for 10 years and our actions prove it. Thank you. Uh, other public comments? Chairman uh, uh, Chalinski, uh, my name is Mike Delaney. Um, Dennis uh, was the president of the LPA for 16 years. I've been the president for a couple of weeks, so uh, I can't speak with the benefit of the experience that he has, but I, um, I signed the letter that's in your packet today. And I want to second a couple of, uh, of the points that uh, Mr. Watkins made in, in his presentation. Um, this building uh, is a is a, a a real treasure for the city, um, and the the community community organizations, the LPA principal among them, uh, helped to save this at a time when there was uh, a substantial likelihood. It has done everything it could. Uh, including helping to get other community uh, resources, resources the, 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 the county's um, Heritage Conservation Council grant um, to, to help support this activity until uh, the appropriate angel would come along to be able to, to push, push a development, development through to conclusion. Um, it appears that that, that developer is, uh, is in the picture at the moment. Um, and and the experience uh, that LPA has had with the project to this point um, demonstrates that there are only a small range of options that are going to be available. This developer appears to have one. Those options don't involve uh, developing the property in a way that will require less parking than this. Um, since it's you have the the authority you have the power to grant the variance that this property requires in order to be redeveloped and we urge you to exercise that authority uh and grant the variance that has been requested we appreciate the staff's um uh, support for the other two variances we don't think that there's any controversy at all there but the parking variance is is critical indispensable to the successful redevelopment of this project Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
Um, yeah, we have one. We have one more, Barry. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, my name is Angie Blair, and I have the property at 904 Rhode Island, which is directly south of the Turn Hall. And I was able to purchase my property from the Preservation Alliance, and I support this uh, this project completely. And I uh, do not feel that parking uh, can and should be a concern. The building does need to be saved and salvaged for use, and there will need to be people in the building. And I and I. And, and the parking is not uh, a concern for me as a neighbor. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Um, any other public comments? No more in person, and then there are no more. There are no Zoom comments. Okay. Uh, do any board members have any questions for any of the people that made comments? Okay, so uh, at this time I would entertain a motion to close the public hearing on this item. I'll provide that motion. Okay, thank you. Moved by board member Matthews. Is there a second? Uh, looks like uh, board member I'll Hill raised her hand. All right. Uh, staff, would you please call the roll? Yeah, staff liaison, Catherine Week. Hill? Board member Hill. Shalinsky? Uh, yes. Swearingen? Yes. Matthews? Are we voting? I'm sorry. Are we voting on the variance? Just closing no. the public comment. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Palos? Yes. And that motion carries. Thank you. Okay. So uh, at this point, we will bring this before the board for any discussion. So is there any discussion that the board members would like to have? So can we, are we breaking this into three different variance requests or should we, are we gonna vote on it all as one whole? How would you like to proceed? Um, that is one of the things that we can discuss, whether we should um, vote on this in uh, separate um, sections. Staff did split the three. We split them into two groups. One was we recommended support for the density and dimensional so the impervious surface and the setback and then separately was the parking okay so, i'll go for the easy one and make a motion that we approve staff's recommendation for the density and um the impervious surface and and approve the setback 
Okay, so there is a motion to uh, approve the reduction of setback and increase the allowable impervious surface uh, as per the uh, applicant's uh, request. Um, is there a second for that motion? I'll second that motion. Okay. We have a motion and a second. Um, is there any further discussion on um, the motion with respect to the uh, setback and the impervious surface? I'll ask one more time, any discussion? Okay, um, hearing no discussion on the motion, I will ask the staff to call the roll. And uh, this is where we are actually voting on the variance, or at least on two out of three parts of the request. Staff liaison, Catherine Week. Hill, Hill, sorry. Approve. Shalinsky? Yes. Swearingen? Yes. Matthews? Yes. Palos? Yes. And that motion does carry. Thank you. Okay. So we will bring it back to the board for discussion of um, parking. <laughs> Is there any discussion on that issue? I think it's important to take a look at the very end of the packet and look at the um, communications from the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association and a few residents um, who are very in favor of the rehabilitation of the building, um, but not so much of the par reduced parking. And so I don't know how we, um, this being my first meeting, I'm not completely sure um, how we consider those or we just consider them that they're there and we can we can discuss those um, is that direct, is that directed for staff or for the chair I, whoever <laughs> i'm not sure it's only my I'll second let, meeting tracy i think it's a, okay um, <laughs> i'll let barry take a stab at it unless he wants staff to suggest um well, uh, I will just say that it is information that is there for us to consider um, that, you know, there are two neighbors and a neighborhood association. Um, and uh, also we did hear from one neighbor next door who had a, a differing opinion on that. So it's all information for us to consider. There was also um, a letter uh, from uh, 
an organization suggesting that they spoke with 57 people about this, but um, no information as to um, who those 57 people were or um, where they might live in relation to the uh, project area. So um, again, all this is information and it's important, but um, we don't have a lot of detail for some of it. Uh, staff has any comment? Yeah, staff would just, you, you know, take all of that information and utilize it in your discussions against the criteria if they do or don't impact those five criteria points that you're using to analyze. That's staff's recommendation. Um, I, I, go ahead, Tressa. Thank you. Um, you know, we know that the first three criteria are met and, uh, um, and the staff agree with those three. So it's really the last two, uh, I believe, that we need to focus on. Uh, and <clears throat> the one being, the fourth one being that the variance does not adversely affect uh, the public health, safety, uh, morals, order, convenience, welfare of the neighborhood. And I would say to that, this building has always been there for the neighborhood. Anybody <clears throat> currently living who owns a property in the neighborhood, especially close to this building, uh, it, you know, you, they had to have been aware that this was uh, an an potential event space that was going to be was used for a long time uh, and you know would potentially be used again so um, there are as the city has indicated multiple city lots close by a, a city garage there's the lot across parking lot across the street um, that's being leased, um, there's street parking, um, you know, it's by public transportation, it's walkable to the downtown for events. Um, so I, I would say that for number four, um, you know, that uh, it, it, it does meet uh, the general welfare of the neighborhood uh, and, and um, does not adversely impact uh, the health, et cetera. And I think on number five, that it does uh, meet the intent, uh, if not the specific intent, the general intent of what the city uh, is trying to do overall. I mean, it meets the intent of preserving our downtown, of using space that's available. Um, that's a lot of what's discussed, um, um, utilizing what's present as much as possible instead of building new or uh, et cetera. Um, and um, so um, I would say it meets the general spirit and intent. 
Any other comments? This is Dean. I'd like to comment. Yeah. Um, I walked the site and uh, did my own minimal research on uh, the time required to get from the parking lots that have been discussed, the one on Vermont, uh, the one on, uh, or the two on Vermont and the parking garage. And um, I think I got my streets, not Vermont, New Hampshire, sorry. But anyway, uh, none of those distances from the furthest point in the parking lots was more than four minutes to walk to the uh, structure. And uh, to me, that's more than reasonable. Uh, and as far as the inconvenience to the neighbors, I think they are already fairly well inconvenienced by the parking that's there throughout the day that I've observed from people who park there from that work downtown as well as the residents themselves. So I'm not sure anything is going to improve the parking situation on Rhode Island Street, at least. Uh, and I'd also like to say that um, parking standards for years, uh, not just in Lawrence, but throughout the country, uh, have somewhat dictated development. Uh, if you can't meet the parking requirement, you can't build often what you want to build. You have to change it to modify it to the parking requirements. And across the country, I know uh, from my experience professionally that this is being questioned uh, in lots of places. I'm in San Francisco right now, uh, and I've talked with people that have said uh, they're trying to get rid of their parking requirements pretty much throughout, and that's for the downtown area. Um, because it's recognizing the limits that it puts on development as well as is there a need for it uh, and encouraging alternative uses of transit. So I agree with Tressa. I think what they're proposing uh, does satisfy the requirements of four and five. Um, and I think I commend the uh, Lawrence Preservation Alliance for all their efforts. Uh, and I'm hopeful that this project can go through. And in my mind, that it would be stopped or any other project would be stopped uh, because of a parking standard um, is frustrating. And lastly, I just want to say this. I think, and Catherine, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the downtown commercial district is only 63 feet away from this property. Stephanie, is that Catherine Week? That, that's correct. That's approximate 63 right. feet. So if it was 63 feet closer, the zoning district, this we wouldn't be here. The requirement for parking off street or yeah, off street parking wouldn't even be considered. So that's those are my comments. Okay. Uh, any other comments? I just wanted to say I appreciate um, your both of your perspectives. Um, I, again, my only concern is what we're seeing from the folks that live there um, in in those um, uh, emails and letters that are at the end of the packet um, about the variance. Um, that said, uh, I guess another concern I have and um, is. 
And this is a, is a question too, especially if you're a, um, um, Dean, I'm not sure if you're, it sounds like you're into development or something. Um, what happens when there's an event at the Granada and there's event an event at this location and there's an event at Maselli's and we have that kind of a parking conundrum? Um, do we have the capacity to be able to deal with that? And I guess, does the downtown have the capacity to deal with that? We do have other lots downtown, right? We have a series of lots down Vermont Street. And to Dean's point on uh, the amount of time it took you to walk from uh, the New Hampshire lots, to walk from the Vermont lots is probably gonna only uh, add a couple of minutes. We also now I'm trying to look at the the um, this the plans that were submitted. Oh, there we go. Never mind. They were they were huge on my screen. I was trying to figure out how many um, handicap accessible spots there were close to the building. So never mind. Um, I did some of my own exploration, um, not walking, but driving. Um, and uh, at about 5.30 this evening, and I know that a Thursday evening is not a Saturday night. Um, in the 900 block of Rhode Island Street. Um, I made a rough estimate that there were about 25 unused parking spots. In the uh, 800 block of Rhode Island Street, there were about four. In the 700 block of Rhode Island Street, there were about four. Um, surface lots on New Hampshire, street parking on New Hampshire, forget it. Um, it was pretty full. However, in the garage, um, there were a lot of spaces I couldn't even or I didn't take the time to count them all, but um, we're talking dozens and dozens and dozens. Um, Tracy, that does not really go to your core. I think he's it's frozen. I think we lost Barry there for a second. We'll see if he comes back here in a minute. If anybody else has discussions, go ahead and continue while we wait. Maybe he came back. 
Um, I, I appreciate what the Lawrence Preservation has done. I think it's a great project. It'd be nice to see a nice event center down there. And I drove by the area and checked parking and just kind of looked to see how close you are. And everyone talks about not going downtown because of the parking, but we have, like you said, 3,000 spaces. There, there is parking. It just depends on how close you want to be to the front door. And um, I, I won't vote yet or anything because we haven't passed a motion, but I do think that sounds like there's ample ways to make the parking work. When I first saw this, I was kind of discouraged. That seemed like a big drop from 150 to ask for 28. I don't know if there's another number we can maybe work in with their reconfiguring of the parking lot. I'm not quite sure what the options are, but I, I don't want this project to go away because we can't figure out this parking. And that was just yeah, a speech. It didn't wasn't really a question. <laughs> that that's an interesting um, point too, though. Um, yeah, I I would agree. It sounds like an amazing project, and I would also not want it to go away because of parking. Um, but if there is wiggle room with that, that would be encouraging. And something Patrick said, he said that they're not probably going to be doing the event and the restaurant at the same time because it would just would make sense the way the layouts are. Um, and then I know you have to have one spot per every employee. So if you have 10 employees, you have to have 10 spots for that. So a lot of the parking and if the employees decided to park, let's say you make the employees park at a city lot, then that opens up 10 spots. So I feel like there's some creativity that can happen um, with that. Yeah. I don't know if Barry's back yet. He's joining. Almost. I'm back. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. Um, I guess probably uh, it was too much bandwidth trying to um, read the packet on one computer and Zoom on another one. So, okay. I'm back. I don't know what you all heard or didn't hear of what I said. Um, I think we lost you at Tracy to your point, and that's where we lost you. <laughs> okay, and and so yeah, to your point, um, if there are simultaneous events going on on a Saturday night, um, then what I found tonight would obviously um, be a different situation. So, yes, um, it is a concern. And, um, you know, people are not going to walk from the Riverfront Mall. They're not going to walk from Vermont Street. Um, that's just not what happens. I think one of the things I brought up very while you were disconnected, I mean, people, a lot of people take Ubers downtown now. They're, I mean, there's so many different ways of transportation. If you're going downtown for an event where people don't even drive, you take an Uber or get some type of transportation, which um, that's, all, that's always an option too when we're looking at these numbers. Because especially, um, I don't know what the draw is going to be for your event space, but the younger generation, the college people, the people who might be renting out the space, 
they're going to be more inclined to maybe not even have to drive or park. Okay. I think that's a good point. And um, we are in a limbo land right now where, um, as Dean pointed out, um, philosophies about parking are changing in the planning world. And um, we don't really know what Lawrence is going to do with this um, in the code rewrites that are currently underway. So there's a lot to balance here. You know, I was I was just in Amsterdam and I would see I, I was standing taking pictures of the parking lot where there were probably 200,000 bikes parked right then on top of each other, even three, three, uh, height of three bikes. It was incredible. On the street, you would see people riding their bikes. 50 bikes would pass you in a second. And there would be people with infants in the front, one and two-year-olds in the back, and it would be raining. I mean, I think we're going to be uh, looking, moving beyond, let's say, of having to have a car to walk up, to go across the street, uh, to go to the park or a store or to visit a friend. You know, the, the Woody Allen line of, uh, you, you know, the car is 10 Ten or the uh, the place you want to go is ten feet away. So get in the car and drive there. I think that's a lovely point and a very idyllic point um, for our community. But the Uber, um, I wish it was that way. Honestly, the way Europe works with public transportation and biking and all that is amazing. And and. Um, I wish we could incorporate that more into our world, um, but I think that's that's at this point might be a bit unrealistic for this particular situation. But Crystal's point to Uber, um, I know quite a few people of my age um, and Crystal's age <laughs> that we probably both know um, who do that on the regular and take an Uber downtown um, if they know they're going to be you know, at an event space such as that, or even downtown um, with dinner and drinks or something like that, they'll take an Uber. So I think that's actually a really excellent point as well. Okay. We have other discussion. Um, is anyone ready to make a motion? You're on mute. Try again, Dean. It looks like you're off mute. Um, yeah, I am. And I don't know, did Tressa make a motion already? I'm waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I make a motion to approve uh, the, the third variance request for a, a reduction in the number of parking spaces required for the facility. 
Do we have a second? We'll second it. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Um, I think we've already thoroughly discussed this, but is there any further discussion? Okay, would staff please call the roll? Staff liaison, Catherine Week. Hill? Approve. Shalinsky? No. Swearingen? Approve. Matthews? Uh, approve. Approve. Palos? Approve. And the motion carries four to one. All right. Thanks, everyone. And uh, congratulations to the applicant. I think this is going to be a very, very exciting project. Thank you all for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, I believe that uh, the only thing that is left on our agenda is to approve a miscellaneous item, which is the uh, BZA calendar for the next 12 plus months. Yes, this is staff liaison Catherine Week. Um, hopefully you've taken a look at the calendar. There's not a lot of impact for you as board members. We're still doing the first Thursdays of the month, unless there's a weird month with like a holiday, like 4th of July or something that may have bumped it. But there is a little bit of a difference for staff in that the submittal deadlines moved back um, like a week or so just to give staff a little more time to review the applications as they come in. There was a very quick turnaround previously. They would be due the Friday after a BZA meeting for the next BZA meeting. And so that didn't give staff a whole lot of time. Um, so that is really the only change um, in the format of the calendar. Otherwise, unless you all have some issues with any of the dates, um, you can discuss that and let us know. So. so um, one of the dates uh, conflicts with Passover, but I will deal with it. Can we change the meeting date? Uh, no, I'll just have my Seder after the meeting is over. Hopefully, um, it won't be a long meeting that night. But thanks for asking. So we will need a motion and a vote on the calendar. So when you guys get to that point. I, am, I make a motion that we approve the 2023 meeting calendar. I second it. Okay. Uh, moved by Swearingen and uh, seconded by Hill. Uh, would staff please call the roll? Yes. Uh, staff is on Captain Wake Hill. Approve. Shalinsky? Yes. Swearingen? Approved. 
Matthews? Approve. Palos? Approve. And the motion carries five to zero. Great. Uh, the, Thank okay. you. the other miscellaneous um, items that we usually talk about at the very end of the meeting is whether or not we anticipate any applications for the upcoming meeting. And just to give you a heads up, we know we do have one for sure. Um, so there will be at least an item uh, on your agenda for next month. All right. Thank you. Uh, again, I would like to welcome our new board members. Um, you uh, participated well and uh, definitely have picked up what we do and how we look at things. And um, I think we got a great board and uh, I look forward to working with everyone. Mary, uh, yeah. I just wanted to comment. I wanted to tell Tracy, I'm, I'm not a developer. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. a, my past is I, I'm a retired uh, planner for 44. Oh, okay. That's my background. Still kind of in that world a little bit, though. So, only in that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dean, Dean definitely has some expertise on this stuff. Great. No question. Um, all right. Um, at this time, I would like to entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. And seconded. All right. You two have a thing going here. <laughs> um, would staff please call the roll? Yes. Hill? Approve. Shalinsky? Yes. Swearingen? Yes. Matthews? Yes. Palos? Yes. I did not expect any no's on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Good evening. Thanks.